If you would join me in the Gospel of John, chapter 1, and uh, today is Trinity Sunday. Uh, last week's Pentecost, and so good today uh, to reflect on uh, the doctrine of the Trinity. And so that's what we're going to look at today. Uh, we'll start reading John chapter 1 and verse 1. So if you would, join with me. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning the light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and, through, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him. He cried out saying, This is the one I spoke about when I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Out of his fullness we all have received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God but the one and only Son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father has made him known. Let's pray. Gracious Father, what a beautiful text, what a beautiful word and revelation from you. I pray, Lord, that we would commit this to our hearts and our minds, that we would marvel today at the goodness of God, and that we'd know that that is our job today, simply to marvel, to stand in awe of you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and that that might reshape and renew our minds and our hearts, and that we might go out of here stronger than when we came in. Lord, we love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The age-old question, does God exist? A question that for a lot of uh, my life I didn't really give much thought to. Grew up in church, uh, just kind of always assumed God exists. Never really considered the question much until after I graduated. Went to uh, a mission trip in Seattle, came back, was on fire for the Lord. And uh, we, we, you know, I, I came back and I had this Bible, still have it in my office. And just uh, came back with a passion, uh, you know, ready to... Uh, charge hell with a water pistol, so to speak. I was, I was ready. I was passionate. And uh, had a Bible there and uh, read the Bible. Didn't really know how to study the Bible very well. Uh, just knew that I was going to underline anything that seemed important to me, which all of it seemed important. So I've got, I've got like whole books, just everything underlined because everything seemed important. Uh, but always had this assumption that God existed. And, uh, but after I graduated, uh, wanting to lead people to Christ... Uh, we didn't have Facebook, didn't have Twitter, didn't have Instagram, but we had chat rooms. And I found an atheist chat room. And so I went into that atheist chat room, re ready to go, and uh, started trying to witness to people in that chat room. Got uh, in a dialogue with one of them pretty quickly, and very quickly found out that I wasn't really prepared to defend my faith. 
and uh, was taught a lesson by an atheist real fast that I really didn't understand how to defend. I knew what I believed, and I was convinced that uh, I had a relationship with God in the same way that you're convinced the person sitting next to you. I didn't even need to have much evidence that God existed because he had spoken to my heart. I'd had experiences with uh, the Lord. Uh, so I, I was confident in my faith, but I realized real quickly I was unable to defend my faith. I was not prepared uh, to share that faith with others and to answer that question for others, does God exist? And so that set me out on a quest to, to discover that. But you know, there's another question that today we ask, I think that's just as important that we quite often take for granted, and that is, who is God? Who is God? Uh, what comes to your mind when you think God? Um, a lot of things might come to our mind. Uh, what we find in the Bible that God has revealed himself, that God is Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. If Trinity, if, if uh, that idea of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit is not coming to your mind when you think of God in general, that's not really an accurate understanding of God. He's not as some of the cartoons depict some old man with a beard sitting in the clouds in heaven and, and uh, governing the affairs of men and women. Uh, that, that's a cartoonish version of God. The, the accurate depiction of God as revealed in Scripture is Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And today we're going to talk about that doctrine of the Trinity. The doctrine of the Trinity affirms four basic truths. We'll just get this uh, on the table right off the bat so that we have an understanding of what we mean when we say Trinity. Uh, first, there is one true God. The doctrine of the Trinity affirms four basic truths. Number one, there is one true God. This is monotheism. All the great uh, monotheistic religions, Christianity is one of them. Uh, we say uh, with Deuteronomy 6, Hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. God eternally exists in three persons, God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. From eternity past, the Son is not created by the Father, uh, the Spirit's not created by the Father. From eternity past, God has existed in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. All three persons are equal in attributes, each with the same divine Nature, So equal in attributes, there's not uh, any difference among them in terms of their attributes, and yet the three persons are not identical. So the, uh, we're about to show a graphic here. Let's get this graphic up. So the Father is not the Son or the Spirit. The Son is not the Father or the Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is not the Father or the Son, and yet all three are God. It's what we call the Godhead, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Blessed Trinity, right? That's uh, what we sing, uh, and what a lot of you, you you're, uh, some of you are like, it's still early, it's not noon, Brother Jared, and we're dealing with the Trinity this morning. But this is a beautiful truth that we ought to dwell on this morning. Um, if I were to, you know, uh, so there might be someone here who says, you know, in the back of your mind, doctrines like this really, really doesn't make sense. It really doesn't, really not something we should spend our time on, on a Sunday morning. Uh, perhaps. Well, we should just love God and we should serve God, and that should be all there is to it. Okay, so try this. Next time you're out on a date or whatever with spouse-to-be or with your spouse something, and they, they, they really begin to pouring out their heart to you. They really begin saying that this is who they are. So, I don't need to know all that. I don't need to know all that. Let's just love one another. Let's just love one another. I don't need to have all that knowledge. That'll probably be the last date uh, that you go with that person in reality uh, because part of loving someone is knowing them and then as you learn about them, you cherish and you adore 
them and those attributes. And this is what we find in theology, the study of God. You are learning about God. You are growing in your knowledge of God. And as you grow in your knowledge of God, you have a foundation upon which to worship God in a deeper sense. True worshipers worship God in spirit and in truth. But if you're going to worship God in truth, you've got to know truth and you've got to grow in truth. And those of you who love God, you want to know more about this God that you worship. The more you learn, the more uh, equipped you are to worship the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in, in truth. Here's a question. When was the mystery of the Trinity revealed? When was the mystery of the Trinity revealed? The mystery of the Trinity was revealed when the Father sent the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So in the Bible, although there are hints in the Old Testament, it's not really made known until you get to the pages of the New Testament. There's this idea of progressive revelation. You don't get everything you need to know on page 1 in the Bible in Genesis chapter 1. So you're building truth. You're building your understanding of God and who He is as you turn through the pages of the Bible. And some, for some people, they, they have a problem because you they say, well, the word Trinity is not found in the Bible. So how can we say this is such a foundational truth? I'll give you a little analogy. Um, got four kids. Uh, in the birth of uh, one of them, uh, we uh, went to the hospital and uh, things did not go according to plan. Uh, and so there was emergency surgery. It was uh, uh, an all-day affair, really. And uh, so emergency surgery, Sarah had to be knocked out with anesthesia and so forth. And so after the baby was born for the first several hours, wasn't able to see uh, the baby. And uh, so I'm, you know, taking pictures and all this sort of stuff. And I'm telling her about uh, the baby and so forth until she's ready to see the baby. She'd kind of come to. And finally, we got to that moment. Uh, the door uh, to, our, uh, to her room swung open and the baby uh, rolled in there almost... <laughs> It was a miracle. The baby was walking, okay? Anyway, <laughs> that would be a story. But I'd have already used that illustration if that happened. But anyway, uh, so uh, the, the baby is, uh, com comes into the room. The, the nurse brings the baby in the room and lays her in her mother's arms. Beautiful, one of the most powerful moments, just seared in my memory, this moment. And you know what didn't happen at that moment? What did not happen at that moment was Sarah didn't say, no, wait just a minute. I need to see some evidence, I need to have some eyewitnesses, I need to have some documentation that this child is a human being and that it's my child, okay? That didn't happen. It was just obvious, okay, obviously this is a human being and this is our child, okay? And so it was a beautiful, profound moment. When we talk about the Trinity, what God has revealed is he revealed himself in sending his son into the world, we're going to see here in just a minute in 1 John where he says what we saw, what we touched, what we felt, what we experienced. They experienced the coming of the Son of God in power. They experienced the outpouring of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. It was a demonstration of who God is in sending His Son and sending the Holy Spirit. And that's what we get to dwell on today. That's what we get to dive into today. So first, uh, we'll talk about the Father. And the Father sins. What does the Father do? The Father sins. Look back at John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now, how can we say that something was with God and was God? 
We can't talk of me, for example, in those terms. We can't say, and Jared was with Jared, and Jared was Jared. Although some days I might feel that way. Uh, but we don't speak of us in that way because we're one being, we're one person, right? But we do speak of God as, uh, we, we can speak of the word as someone who is with God and someone who was God because it's a revelation of the Trinity. Notice something else about the word. The word is not only God and with God, but from God. Notice verse 9, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. Skip down to verse 11. Verse 11, he came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. So uh, speaks of the word as someone who's coming into the world. Uh, skip down again to verse 14. Verse 14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. So as the famous Nicene Creed says of the Son, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, one in being with the Father, through him all things were made for us and for our salvation. He came down from heaven. So we do not speak of the Son as being created by the Father or by God because he is God. He is God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made. And why did the Son come into the world? The Bible tells us that the Son came into the world to show us the Father, but so that we might have salvation. What is, we ask this question a lot, what is God's will for my life? What is God's will for my life? And the simple answer is, the, the ultimate answer to that is for you to know Him and for you to find salvation in Him. For you to know God, the God who sent His beloved Son, who makes the Father Known for you to be gloriously and wondrously saved by God's grace. So turn over with me, if you would, to 1 John. 1 John, uh, this passage I, I referenced a little bit earlier. 1 John chapter 1. And listen to what it says. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at, and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. So, in other words, they're not proclaiming something to you that they have not experienced for themselves. That's what separates Christianity apart from the other religions. It's not based upon one person having some vision, some heavenly vision, and now everybody else just has to take his word for it. No, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. That which we was from the beginning we have heard, we have seen with our eyes, and we have looked at, and our hands have touched. This we proclaim to you concerning the word of life. Notice verse 2, the life appeared we have seen it and testified to it and we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the father and has appeared to us literally has been made manifest to us the father has sent his son he is manifest his beloved son for us so that we might know who god truly is is what they saw dimly in the Old Testament, what was mysterious in the Old Testament now has come to light in the New Testament. There are surely people in your life you are thankful for, uh, certain relationships you're thankful for, maybe a spouse or a child, a parent, a grandparent, a brother, a sister, a friend. Um, and if you start talking about them in any 
meaningful way. And I've seen it happen over and over and over again throughout my time in churches when people start talking about people who have invested in their life, who love them, who have shared goodness with them. Uh, They often get choked up because uh, that's a place uh, where someone has touched them deeply in their life. What you need to understand is anytime you have those experiences in life, that is a gift from God. That is God's goodness to you. It's God's goodness to you. And any of us who've lost loved ones know, don't take that for granted because you will miss that. And so don't take it for granted. But I just want you to know that when the Father sent the Son, He sent in His beloved Son His perfect goodness and love and peace and grace. He is a gift from our Father. And so what this means is, a lot of times when we think about God the Father, we think of someone angry sitting up in the heavens, uh, just uh, ready to strike us with lightning or, or something like that. But what we find in the Bible is that the Father sent His Son Precisely because he loves us. Precisely because he cares about us. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. The same is true in Luke 15. When we find Luke 15, when we find people who repent and they turn, when they repent and they come home, what happens in heaven? We say, well, the angels rejoice. Angels do rejoice. But if you read Luke 15, it says there's more joy before the angels, before the, what is before the angels in heaven? God. God is in heaven, and there is nobody who rejoices and who has more joy than the Father when a brother or sister come home. Number two, the Son reveals. The Son reveals. So back over in the Gospel of John, uh, chapter 1, um, it says in, look at what it says in verse 18. No one has ever seen God but the one and only Son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father has made him known. What does the Son do? He makes God known. How do we know of the goodness of God? The Son reveals it to us. Now, now that you're comfortable in the Gospel of John... Let's go back to the Old Testament, okay? Exodus chapter 34. Exodus chapter 34. And the Bible says that Jesus is the Word made flesh. By the way, by the way, if you're here this morning and you've got steam coming out your ears, praise God that we have a God who is like that, who's so wonderful and proud that we just have to stretch our minds to grasp some of what's going on. I was in a, a Texas Baptist All-State band, okay, and I was uh, a saxophonist, uh, believe it or not, back in the day, and, uh, and I made it there. Uh, in fact, Daryl was a sponsor on that trip, believe it or not, and uh, a little bit of humor there, but anyway, uh, so he, he was a sponsor on the trip, but uh, we were at Dallas Baptist University, and we were sitting outside a rehearsal, and kind of a group of us gathered around, and there was one young lady who said, I just, I just don't know that I can believe in God anymore because it's just so hard to understand. I just don't know that I can believe in a God that I, I have a hard time understanding. And I told myself, I have a hard time believing in a God that I can understand because that means I'm bigger than God. The reality is God is far beyond anything that we can imagine. And part of the beauty of the Christian journey is learning more and more and more and more about him. 
And so I want to encourage you on that journey. I want to encourage you to keep pressing on to know God, the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ our Lord. But all that being said, let's look over at the Old Testament book of Exodus, chapter 34. If you'll remember, we preached, uh, we went through Exodus, okay? Man, we were, we were chiming along like clockwork. Everything was going good. I had my, my sermon uh, schedule, and we are just boom, boom, boom. Everything was going great until we got to Exodus 33 and 34. And then everything went off the hinges because I just couldn't fit this in one sermon. And as I found out the next week, I couldn't fit it in two sermons, And so it took us three weeks to get through this little section because Moses said, show me your glory. Show me your glory. Show me who you are, God. And in 33 verse 19, the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence and I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face for no one may see me and live. And so what we find in Exodus 34, 6 is what theologians might call the divine perfections of God. It says, And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving wickedness and rebellion and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished, He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents and third and fourth generation. This is a beautiful, majestic word of God. Attributes of God, the divine perfections. And if you want to understand what's going on in John 1, it would be like Moses saying, Moses said, show me your glory. And God said, okay, I'll I'll turn my backside to you and I will uh, say out my name and my attributes as I pass by. And what John 1 is saying is let's take all of those words, all of those attributes, and let's wrap them in flesh. The Word made flesh and dwelt among us. If we wanted to see what that looks like in human form, it looks like Jesus. And there's no other name except His name by which we're saved. The name of Jesus, that ought to draw us to worship as we see Jesus interacting with people. Men and women, children, the elderly, those who are sick, those who are wealthy, all kinds of different people. We see this enfleshed in the beloved Son of God. You have never experienced a goodness, a glory, a presence as redeeming and restoring as the presence of Christ. All of us, all of us instinctively know to draw near to some people. As children, we might draw near to our parents for protection and to be nurtured and to be comforted. We all know that there are certain people that when you are having a victory in your life, that you feel good about picking up the phone and calling them because you know they are going to do what? They're going to rejoice with you. There are some people you know not to call, Right? Because you call them and suddenly they, they have to tell a story about themselves and how they did it better. Right? You're like, well, I'm not going to call them. Or they, they might feel jealous. Of but you all know that person that you can call who's going to rejoice with you. Who's going to be thrilled at the victory that you're experiencing in your life and it makes you stronger. We all know a person that we can pick up the phone and call when we have that low moment in our life. We're walking through a valley. We know people not to call, but we know people to call that are going to comfort us, are going to encourage us. And when we get off the phone, we feel stronger because we've had that conversation. All those people, again, are gifts from God. 
But Jesus Christ himself is that in perfect perfect form. He is the word made flesh, God dwelling in our midst. And why did Jesus come into the world? Why did Jesus come into the world? Turn over with me, if you would, to Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11, okay, verse 25. What we just said in John, remember what we said in John chapter 1, verse 18, no one has seen, no one has ever seen God. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. What did Jesus do? Jesus made the Father known. What do we find in Matthew chapter 11? Verse 25, at the same time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. The Son helps us understand the heart of God, to know who God is, whatever we might come up with in our minds. A God that might be all-loving and not just, a God that might be uh, sitting up in the heavens and angry and not have much grace. Jesus gives us the perfect picture of who God is. And notice what it says about Jesus in that next famous verse, verse 28. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. At the heart of Christ is gentleness and humility, and this is who God is. This is who God is. He is worthy of our worship and our praise. And this brings us to number three as we begin to close it out this morning. Number three, the Spirit glorifies. So the Father sins. What does the Father do in his wisdom, in his grace? He sends forth his Son because that's God's stance towards you. You need to understand this morning, that is God's stance towards you. Sometimes you're against yourself. Sometimes you get down on yourself. Sometimes you might not think you're worth saving. But long before you ever did that thing you did, long before you ever made the mistake, long before you ever sinned, God knew that. He knew the brokenness of this world and he sent Forth his son. The Bible says, in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son. If we were, if we, if we did it our way, we might say, in the fullness of time, we sent forth a book with some bullet points in it to help us understand who we were. But that's not what God did. He sent his son. And his son came into the world so that in a world as we're wondering who God is, what is God like? What is God, if God were to come and dwell among us. And he were to sit at a table with us and share a meal. What would that be like? What would he, how would he interact with people? It looks like Jesus. He helps us know God. And he came to rescue us from our sins to bring salvation. And so that as we know God, we are moved to worship. And this is where the Spirit comes in. The Spirit glorifies. The Spirit glorifies. And for this, we have to turn over a little bit further in John to John chapter 16. John chapter 16, verse 12. Last week we celebrated Pentecost and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And we said one of the outpourings, uh, one of the outcomes of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit was that Christ is magnified. So that when the Spirit 
came down, when the Spirit was poured out, what did people begin to do? They begin to, the Bible says, speak in tongues, but literally they, they spoke in known languages in Acts chapter 2. People understood them. They're coming from all over the, the ancient world, coming to Rome with a number of different languages. And when the Spirit's poured out, they begin to speak in tongues where people understand the gospel in their own language, hearing about the wonders and the works of God. And Peter stands up and gives us an idea of what was being said. And at the heart, at the center of his message is Christ. He preaches about the gospel of Jesus Christ, how he died on the cross for our sins and God raised him from the dead and that Jesus is Lord. That was the heart and soul of his message. This is what the Spirit does. The Spirit puts the Son on display for the world to marvel at. John chapter 16, verse 12. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. Some of you are like, yes, this is more than we can bear this morning. Verse 13. But when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. So what's the Spirit going to do? The Spirit's going to help us know who Jesus is. And in knowing who Jesus is and knowing who the Son is, we know who the Father is. So if I were to go to some of your homes, okay, if I were to go to some, you have certain things on display, Right? Uh, so you might have, uh, some of you might have some china. You've got a nice display, a cabinet or something. You're displaying your china. Some of you might have uh, something artistic. You might have uh, some artistry on the wall. I couldn't even say that in the earlier service. I thought I was speaking in tongues, okay? But uh, you have some artistry on the wall, okay? And you've got uh, kind of it uh, on display for people to look at and for people to enjoy. Uh, some of you, you have a deer head with the antlers, right? Uh, you you want to show that off? We want to let people know that one day we conquered this deer, right? So we like doing that. We like putting things on display. Some of us have our TV on display. But anyway, uh, so uh, that's just what we tend to do. We, things that are important to us, we put on display to draw people's attention to it. If you think about something like a wedding ceremony, it's designed in such a way to put the couple on display. The bride comes in, everybody stands, everybody turns and looks on display to magnify the greatness and the beauty of that moment. What the Spirit does day in and day out is put Christ on display for us to marvel at, for us to worship as we grow, as we press deeper in our knowledge and we learn more about the Son, we are stirred in our hearts to worship Him and to give Him praise. In the same way, when you meet someone in life and you know them and they are love, they are kindness, when you meet someone like that, your heart is drawn to them and you want to be with them. In the same way, some of you have experienced reading Scripture and learning more about Christ or at a worship service and hearing God's Word proclaimed. But even perhaps this morning as you reflect on the greatness of God, your heart is drawn. And let me just say to you this morning, give in to that. Give in to that and worship God because He's worthy of your worship and praise. You're learning about something that ought to change the way you see the world, ought to change the way that you live in this world because of the greatness and the goodness of God on display in Christ. 
We'll wrap it up today with just two final passages. Two final passages. One is in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 10. And then we'll wrap it up where we began in Romans 5. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 10. Notice the work of the Holy Spirit. It says, these are the things God has revealed to us by His Spirit. And you can read back in your own time to see what that is. But notice, the Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. What we have received is not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God so that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what the Spirit helps us understand. Uh, He's the insider. He knows who God is. He is helping us understand who God is. Ever had someone get the wrong impression of you or something you believe? And that happens all the time with God. And by the way, uh, just as the Spirit works to magnify Christ, the devil works to uh, distract us from the glory of Christ. All the time, whether it be through riches, whether it be through apathy or tiredness or whatever, he wants to divert your attention away from the glory of Christ. But the Spirit draws us in. The Spirit draws us in to help us see the beauty that is God, that's found in God. Let's close it out with Romans chapter 5. I know we've turned around a lot today, but we needed the exercise, didn't we? This is part of the exercise program spoken of earlier. All right, Romans chapter 5, verse 1, we wrap it up with this. And I want you to notice how in this passage, all three persons of the Trinity are working together. And that's the beauty of all of this, folks. All three work from the very beginning. In John 1, it says all things were made by the Son and for the Son. And if you go back to Genesis chapter 1, what do we see? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the Spirit was hovering over the face of the deep. A beautiful picture of this divine dance of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit bringing life to this world. But in Romans chapter 5, we see the beauty of salvation and the glory of sanctification. It says in Romans 5 verse 1, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So a lot of times when they referred to the Father, they would refer just uh, to God. They would designate just God. God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. So we're justified by the blood of the Son, Jesus Christ. Verse 3, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Like a warm embrace. Like if you can imagine that moment where the Father... Embrace the prodigal son like a warm embrace. God helps us understand that love, that prodigal love, through the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. Now, my question for you today is, (laughs) maybe as you reflect on all of this, you realize, man, God God is good. God is great. 
And he is deserving of being on full display in my heart, in my life. And, man, where, where Christ should be in my heart, I, I've got something else on display. Something else has taken preeminence. Maybe this morning you would just reflect on your life and on the way that you think, on the way that you speak, on the way that you live, and you'd realize Christ is not center. And maybe God would convict your heart this morning and you would have a change of direction in your life. I invite you, if you haven't trusted in Christ, to do so today. I invite you uh, to follow after him, to know that he died on the cross in order for you to know God, in order to bring us to God, that we might be saved. Gracious Father, I pray today that as we come to this time of response, that we would respond in worship. And that may take many different forms this morning. So, Father, I just pray that whatever that looks like today, I pray that we would worship you in spirit, guided by your spirit, and in truth. Lord, teach us and show us the way this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.